With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Joe Escalante live from Hollywood. By Hollywood, you mean Burbank across the street from a wiener schnitzel that serves beer. This is two hours of the business and of show business. And we do it every Sunday from 5 to 7 right here on KEIB. 1150 on your AM dial, good old-fashioned AM radio show you're listening to. Congratulations to you. You're cool. Uh, if you miss the show live, you can grab it as a podcast on Apple or iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, whatever that's called. And we are uh, going to talk about movies today and celebrities behaving badly, some legal cases. And let's talk about the box office First, the box office, we have, it looks like, uh, yeah, Avatar's knocked off the, uh, seven weeks, number one Avatar is now knocked off the uh, top spot, uh, replaced by Knock at the Cabin, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, weird movie that looks like it's a parody, but evidently it's a real movie, uh, 80 for Brady. Coming in at number three, then A Man Called Otto. Puss in Boots, still hanging in. That's a great movie. you got to see it. M. Thregan, uh, still hanging in, doing well. Missing from Sony Pictures, doing great. Plane from Lionsgate, great. Uh, Infinity Pool, I, mean, I haven't seen it. Woman Talking, that thing's doing tremendous. Of all the uh, weirdo uh, Oscar nominees, that thing's like number nine in the country right now. So it's uh, maybe that'll make some money for United Artists. Uh, the Whale. I think people mixed reviews on that. I thought it was stupid. Then Everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Fablemans. People are, are, are coming around for The Fablemans because The Fablemans won a Golden Globe for Best Picture. And on my radio show, it won a Golden Turd for uh, a movie I couldn't even finish. So that's where that goes. All right, I'm not going to talk about Living, which is the movie I saw last week, which I think is the best movie of the year, but I'll, I'll say it again, I think the best movie of the year. Uh, next week I'll publish my final top ten of the year, and Living is going to be number one. Just a little uh, hint from you. Maybe Triangle of Sadness, number two. Uh, and then after that, you know, they're all kind of, I like them all equal. So, I, did I see some movies this week? Yeah, that's awesome. I saw well. I didn't go to the theater, so I saw I saw some uh, some uh, Netflix stuff or HBO Netflix stuff. The Wild Bunch, The Wild Bunch, is a very um, important movie by Sam Peckinpah in nineteen sixty nine. It was the it's part of the new Hollywood where violence is cool and sex is cool and and uh, you know it's not cool. Uh, musicals like Doctor Doolittle and stuff like that's not cool anymore. Uh, the Sound of Music is not cool. The West Side Story is not cool. It, you got to be Bonnie and Clyde and and, um, and John Cassavetes and things like that. So the Wild Bunch. Here's my review of it on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is where I write 
in my letterbox diary every single movie that I watch every week. Just so I can remember. It's not like you have to go look at it, but you could. You can get an account and you can be my friend there. Dear Diary, this one says, uh, for the Wild Bunch. I give it three stars out of five. It says, well, uh, there are these robbers and they're, they're being chased by these bounty hunters. And the only trouble is that it takes about two hours into the movie before you figure out which one is which. Because they all look the same and act the same and they look like they smell the same. That was on HBO, and uh, it's an important movie. Everyone's got to see it. But I um, I wasn't overwhelmed. I was underwhelmed. And it's kind of like corny writing, and it's Sam Peckinpah. I don't know if he's a great writer. I actually was asked to rewrite something that uh, he wrote, and uh, it was given to me by somebody, and they said, hey, rewrite the Sam Peckinpah script. It's like a 1,000 pages. Like, he just, he overwrites. And, um, but, you know, He's a famous director that has made a lot of cool movies. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's written about... The reason why I watched it is because there's a detailed um, analysis of it in Quentin Tarantino's new book, uh, Cinema Speculation. And that is a book, if you like movies, you, you might want to get and read because he's a great writer and he's a great director. And the reason why I liked it is because he was kind of born about the same exact time I was, and he lived in the same area. He lived in the valley. I lived in Orange County in L.A. We were born at the exact same time. We had the exact same kind of parents, the kind of parents that said to you, go ahead and see this R-rated movie. I don't give a crap. Uh, so I saw every R-rated movie, you know, just about. Um, the more movies than I see now because I had a movie theater a block away, and I would see everything that was there, all the double features. Uh, I had My dad took us to movies on, the, on Sundays, and up in LA we would go to Westwood uh, to the Bruin or we would go to the Chinese theater or we would go to the Pacific uh, the Egyptian uh, we and they let me pick out the movies out of the seven kids in the family they would let me pick them out I, nobody cared and I was the youngest so I saw a lot of movies that, that now I, back when I when I look back on it I'm I'm shocked there's a movie called Vanishing Point now, Vanishing Point is definitely a new Hollywood movie, and I saw it. I remember. I, mean, I remember it so vividly because I was staying at my grandparents. My grandparents lived in Inglewood, and Inglewood was not a good neighborhood at that time in 1971. We're three years after the Watts riots, so but my grandparents still live there. So my mom told him, "You just take the guy to the movies. He'll tell you what movie he wants to see. You just drop him off, and you leave him there all day long. That's how easy it is to take care of this kid." So they're like, "Yeah, sounds good to me." So I picked out my movies. And they drop me off. I'm going to see Vanishing Point at this theater. Then I'm going to walk across the street in Inglewood. And I'm going to go to this other theater. I'm going to see this, this second movie. They pick me up in, you know, six hours. And I remember my grandpa saying when they dropped me off, are you sure this is okay, Bonnie? My grandma. Um, yeah. His mom said this is what he likes to do. So he likes to do what he likes to do. So my grandma goes up, buys me the R-rated ticket. And I go inside and watch The Vanishing Point. Now, that sounds like... Um, Something would never happen with a kid today. And I still thought it was weird, but I, you know, I knew, but I lost kind of track of time. I, how old was I when I did this? So I went and looked up on the internet and said, when did that movie play at that theater in Inglewood? 1971. I was eight years old. So Quentin Tarantino has a bunch of stories like that. He didn't go by himself because his parents would take him, but he, he, he saw uh, probably more movies than I did. And he has a better memory and he's, you know, 
writing down logs and stuff. I was just seeing the stuff and forgetting about it. After Monday, I would tell all my friends what I saw, and then I, then I forget. But uh, great reliving all these movie memories in Quentin Tarantino's book, the um, cinema speculation. Now, <clears throat> saw another movie. This movie I saw on HBO. No, so Netflix. It's called R. R R. Now R R R is stands for like rise, rage, and roar, and it's about these two Indian guys that um, are gonna go become revolutionaries in the 1920s, and it's one of the highest rated movies ever. Okay, highest rated movie it, since they've been doing all these you know Rotten Tomatoes and um, you know digital ratings or whatever the modern rating system right now is all over the world this is getting this this rrr is getting the highest ratings so i had to see it and i couldn't see it in the theater and it's an epic spectacle i could not see it in the theater because it wasn't in the theater so i tried it's not coming out in the theaters until like for a long time but it is playing on netflix so a, that's a little suspicious to me you know why we had the highest rated movie in the world be playing only on a streamer and not in, and if it's such a big spectacle why is it in, in in the movies so we'll find out what i thought about it when we come back joe escalante live from hollywood joe escalante live from hollywood if by hollywood you mean burbank with the business end of show business here uh we're talking about the movie rrr this is a netflix film uh it's an indian film it's, uh, it's directed by a guy named uh, Rajamuli. Okay? Uh, it's three hours. Three hours and nine minutes. So you got to be 4.2 rating at the, um, on Netflix. Okay? You know what the rating for Gone with the Wind is on Netflix? 3.8. So you, this must be a great movie. Rotten Tomatoes, 95% audience score. 94% critic score. Um, something like that. Very close to that. I had my computer I dropped. I don't want to go search for it again. Anyway, that's the hype of this movie. The highest rated movie, like, almost ever. So I got to see it. So I go to Netflix, and I watch it. And I'm, I'm curious, why isn't it in the theaters? I want to see it in the theaters. It's not available. So I watched it on HBO, or sorry, Netflix. And, um, oh, holy cow, just, just so terrible. You keep waiting for it to get good, and it just wastes your time for three hours. These guys are so, like, corny. They're too corny to be good to give good performances. Well, what about the special effects, Joe? What about the epic story and all the crazy things they do? Well, these... Um, the, the special effects are terrible. Okay, and I think that's why they don't want to see it in the theaters. If you, These special effects are so bad, if it was blown up in a big screen, uh, you would have a lower opinion of it. If it's in a smaller screen, yeah, you can't really tell. So, uh, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go to my review. My review. My review got more likes than any review I've written for any movie on on Letterboxd, by the way. 
Um, what I do in a movie like this, I do it kind of most movies. I take the, I go to Letterboxd, where I, my movie diary is, and I filter it by the worst reviews first. So I read the worst ones uh, ever. So here I am with the lowest rated first, and I'm reading them, and it's just like, I feel, here's one. I feel sorry. This comes from Killa Gorilla. I feel sorry for the rest of the world if you think this is a great movie. I was hoping it was satirical, but no, it was dead serious. Awful movie from an American perspective. Next one. I don't know why there's so much hype for this movie. Extravagant and unnecessarily loud and out of character. Effing cringe fest every five minutes. And yes, white people love watching Indians do a hula hoop with animals and stereotype the dancing in every 30 minutes without any context. And effing Rajamuli creates a nonsense flick that caters to exact stereotypism. I don't know if that's a word, but, you know, this is like, this is obviously a guy that, I mean, anyway, who cares? Why did this movie ever win, one, even win one award? For F's sake, are the panel high on some snakeskin, banana-flavored, poop-stained popcorn, cocaine in the dressing room? That doesn't make any sense. This guy's review's not that great, um, but the movie's worse. Um, one guy calls it a crappy Coke dream. Um, I don't get the hype. I was expecting gay sex, gay bromance. And then I'm going through these terrible ratings. And then, then I got to uh, one that sounded strangely familiar, and it was mine. Um, it says, uh, it's like someone gave Tommy Wiseau unlimited credits on Fiverr, and he went nuts with it. If you know what Fiverr is, Fiverr is where you get, like, you know, people from India, kind of almost mainly to do special effects for you for like $5. And that's what the movie uh, looks like. But, um, you know, it's exciting. It just, if it was an hour and a half, I'll bet you could have, you could have made an hour and a half movie out of this and I would have loved it. It would have been funny and all the crazy stunts they do. Some amazing, you know, stunts. They're, they're not that impressive, but if you packed them all in, it might be good. So, uh, that's it. RRR, thumbs down. Wild Bunch, it's important. You got to see it, no matter what. And uh, what's it called? Women talking. I, 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 I'll, I'll see it this week. I promise. Okay, let's go to my um, pile of amazing stories. There are lots of scandals in the news this week. Hollywood scandals. The first one I'm going to talk about is the Andrea Riseborough's Oscar nomination which I think I touched on it a little bit last week, but it's, you know, people have had a time to think about it. And uh, it, you've never heard of Andrea Riseborough and you've never heard of her movie, Too Leslie. It did $27,000 at the box office. But she was nominated for Best Actor. When you look at the performance and the clips that, that you see online, yes, it's a very powerful performance. The movie is about a... Um, what happens when a single mother wins the lottery and then runs out of money? So, you know, it's Oscar bait. She's poor white trash and she's an English lady. Uh, some kind. She's foreign. French. French. French? I forgot where she come from. Australia? I don't know. It'll come to me. Anyway, she's a foreign actress. She should, so she's doing the, the whole accent thing and she nails it. But... Everybody's mad that she was nominated because 
there was no big money campaign. She wasn't a front runner. The front runners were two black actresses. The woman Viola Davis, who was in Woman King, and Daniel Deadweiler, who was in the movie Till. And then suddenly this lady wins. How did she win? She won by a lot of movie stars. Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, Jennifer Aniston, Kate Winslet, Edward Norton, Charlie Theron. They all like got in this campaign. They hosted things at their house to get her screenings. They have screenings at their house. They'll tell all the other actresses that can vote. All the actors, come over to my house. We're going to watch to Leslie and so you can see this performance. And they, they pressured people and they punished people. And they, they I mean, they, by, when, I, when I say punished, I mean they, 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 they hectored people. They, they pestered them to get them to vote for her. And they did it enough, and she won. Now, is it illegal to do that, to do that kind of pestering? Well, it is illegal for the big companies. to They're, they're only allowed to send you so many emails per week, and they have to use this email list from the academy or something. There's rules. And they didn't follow. They, they pestered a, a, a bunch. And now it's a weird situation because... The, the big money campaigns, the ones where millions are spent, those ones followed the rules. This grassroots thing did not follow the rules. So should she be disqualified, even though they did it in a grassroots level? Or should she be... Uh, and if that, if that happens, that means only the big money uh, people can be nominated for Oscars, it seems. But the real truth is, if you want to do your grassroots thing, you got to do it by the rules. And you have to email people only a certain amount of time. And, and, but I think what it's clear is they need to look at these rules and probably change them. So that um, you can do this and I, uh, that a grassroots campaign has a chance. But it's not... Um, and they, and they, but they, they can't just do it once a week like the other ones do it, like the limited pestering. They won't get anywhere, so they got to overdo it. So someone's got to figure out a way where they can do that and uh, still stay within the rules. But the problem is these black actresses, you know, because the Oscars are always trying to promote, you know, diversity. So now they got a problem on their hands, but they always got a problem on their hands. It's going to be more exciting uh, to watch than ever. So I'll be watching it. And I uh, hope you will, too. I'm going to take a break now and come back with more Joe Escalante live from Hollywood. Joe Escalante live from Hollywood. If by Hollywood, you mean Burbank. Across the street from a wiener schnitzel that sells beer. And two hours of the business end of show business. Every Sunday right here on KEIB. This is a nice Sunday. No Super Bowl. No football. We're just kind of chilling in between the two big crazy weekends. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm not going to tell you where I go to my Super Bowl party because <clears throat> I'm just going to keep it secret. But 
I have a I, I have a place that I go. I've been going to for the past maybe ten years. I just love it, love it. Very low key. It's a private club. Uh, don't try to get in. It's members only. Like the jacket, but um, we still got some show business to talk about. So here we are. This one, I mean, fasten your seatbelts because this is a wild ride. And when you have a wild ride, you need to be buckled in because you might fall out. I don't want anyone falling out when I tell you about this scan. Irving Azoff. Whoa. You've heard that term, right? But you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't heard that term. Irving Azoff. Powerful music industry uh, player. He's a manager. He's got clients like uh, Gwen Stefani, Christina Aguilera, Travis Scott, The Eagles, Joe Walsh, Nicki Minaj, Van Halen. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham, John Bon Jovi, uh, Harry Styles, Lizzo, John Mayer, and, and he's like he's got to have the best of every category, is what I've heard. He just has to have it, whatever the best and the biggest in every category is. He comes along and takes it, and he's um, his nickname in the industry is the Poison Dwarf. There. I don't. Know, I forgot who made that up, but <clears throat> that's what they call him. He's harsh. He's harsh, harsh, harsh. When you talk about people, like sometimes you're you're thinking like, "Wow, how did someone get that successful?" And then you think, "Well, I don't. I don't know if I could do the kind of things that that person does to become successful. I'm not comfortable. This is why I never started a publishing entity like with my record label, because you can, you know." Uh, acquire publishing rights to all your artists on your label and then pretty soon you got this big catalog and you could sell it and my um, competitors like Epitaph Records would, would do that and uh, they're very successful with it and I go wow I missed out on a lot of money but I didn't have the stomach because most bands think you're ripping them off if you acquire their publishing even if you make a fair deal they always just think they talk to someone and someone says you got ripped off so I just stayed out of it I don't wanna, I didn't want that so did I lose out on some money? Maybe, but I, I just don't have the stomach for such things, certain things. And, you know, when I see these billionaires, I go, I don't, you know, sometimes my wife goes, you got to stand up at a desk and you got you to shout. You got to be more forceful. I don't have it in me. And then I look at these people and I, I, I try to think, you know, maybe, maybe you're like me. Like, sure, I, I could make a lot more money if I was willing to, to do things that I'm not comfortable doing and I think in the long run you're 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 you got to be you and you got to live with yourself so I'm not sure how these people live with themselves and this guy it's not really his scandal it's mainly his wife's scandal but you know you I, I think you kind of bring things upon yourself and um this one is his wife Rochelle they call her Shelly these people live out in um Palm Springs era, area, or La Quinta. And they have these big... I actually saw his house a couple weeks ago. It's... Uh, he's, he's got a whole uh, country club that he kind of runs. Things like, there's no uh, dress code here. I don't want to have a dress code, so there's no dress code. You know, I don't want to belong to a country club that doesn't have a dress code. I was turned off by that. Um, but in any case, his former uh, housekeeper is suing him and his wife... Rochelle, because she says she was sexually harassed and assaulted 
after complaining about not being paid for overtime. Her name is Rosa Martinez. She filed a bombshell lawsuit in L.A. Superior Court this week. She stated she is suing her former employers for salt and battery, sexual battery, sexual harassment, retaliation, and wrongful termination. Uh, the court documents say that she brought the lawsuit to vindicate her rights against a powerful Hollywood couple and to put an end to their abusive practices towards domestic workers. Those are probably her her own words, written in her own words. I think, I don't know, maybe, you know, the lawyers kind of helped her with that, maybe. But what do I know? Maybe Rose is a, a bit of a Shakespeare. Who knows? Cruel and sadistic forms of sexual harassment. She said that's what she, she underwent with um, Irving Azoff's wife, Shelley. She accused Shelley of subjecting her to cruel and sadistic forms of sexual harassment and sexual assault that was unwelcome and pervasive, which escalated in their frequency and severity in retaliation for her complaints of unpaid overtime and abuse. Uh, she started working for the Azoffs in January of nineteen of 2022. So just, this is all happening in less than a year. She's taking care of cleaning their house, re- uh, recording housekeeping expenses, setting the table, serving food, looking after their dogs, running various errands, as well as assisting Rochelle in her day-to-day tasks. Hmm. Like a, quite a servant. Rosa claimed she worked far more than the eight-hour workday that she had agreed and complained to the couple in April. So after four year, four months, she's like, hey, look, I'm supposed to work eight hours a day, and you're making me work more, so I would like to get paid overtime. This allegedly caused Shelley to retaliate her with all this cruel and intimidating behavior, according to Rosa, and it's very sexual in nature, and in order to humiliate and degrade her, she says, and force her into submissive obedience. Azoff, um, so Rosa says she was routinely spanked. It's not, now it's starting to get in the detail. Spanked uh, her buttocks with an open palm, violently pinched her cheeks, causing her eyes to tear. On at least one occasion, Shelly Azoff pinched Martinez's cheek while warning her not to complain about unpaid wages on behalf of herself and the other housekeepers. Don't be an agitator. Can you imagine that? Don't complain. And then squeezing of the cheeks like, ooh. Uh, Shelly summoned Rosa on multiple occasions and completely undressed herself in front of her for no apparent reason other than to ask the housekeeper to compliment her body. Now, if you look at Rochelle, I mean, she looks... I mean, we're all fighting our inner trolls. And um, she looks to be, you know, doing the best she can to fight her inner troll. But it's coming out. You can see it. Uh, Rosa detailed another incident, including an alleged unwanted kiss on a private plane from Shelley. The housekeeper described one incident in April in which Rochelle sexually assaulted her at a home during the Coachella Valley Music Festival. Rosa said she finally mustered the courage to tell her then-mistress to stop touching her as it brought back past memories of a sexual assault that she had. But Shelley just laughed. And she said, uh, you know, if you've been through the pain of rape, you should be strong enough to endure uh, the kind of behavior I dole out. Another occasion in the suit, Shelley called uh, Rosa into her bedroom where she was smoking. And then Rosa uh, claims that Shelley took her cigarette burned it on the top of her sleeve blouse, and the ash went through and burned her skin. Now we're getting really sadistic and, and, and gross. Uh, she tried to resign, and they made her sign you know, some uh, resignation agreement, which is probably uh, uh, an NDA, 
And but you can't you can't make someone sign an NDA and then if and, and say you have to cover up crimes. If you're violating violating your civil rights and they're committing crimes, uh, this NDA that she probably signed is invalid. So she goes and she goes to a lawyer and she says, hey, look what happened to me. And uh, she's showing Irving Azov also because she says he was there the whole time. He knew everything that she was doing and he did nothing about it. So he might have some liability as far as being a you know co-owner of the – like it's an entity and they employ her and he's a co-owner of the entity. And he knew about the, the what the employees were going through and he did nothing about it. So he could be liable for uh, the same things that Shelley did. So pretty gross. Uh, Irving Azoff and Shelley Azoff in a lot of trouble. A lot of people didn't know who he was. Uh, they just know his clients, but now I think everybody's going to know who he was. Okay, uh, Joe Escalante live from Hollywood. Uh, let's check the traffic. Joe Escalante live from Hollywood. If by Hollywood you mean Burbank. Okay, show business. That's what we talk about here every Sunday from 5 to 7. And it's two hours, so... Um, We'll be on the air from 5 to 7. And this is one of those weekends where we're not being preempted by NFL, so good for us. Uh, scandals all over the place. And this one, it's an old scandal, but today, or this week, there was an indictment and connected with the scandal involving Tom Girardi, the husband of Erica Jane from Beverly Hills uh, Housewives. Uh, Erica Jane is... Um, I know both these people. I knew Girardi uh, from... Just legal stuff. He's always uh, giving a speech somewhere or moderating a panel. Very energetic. I've never met anybody that likes being a lawyer so much. And his wife, Erica Jane, uh, I helped her in her career. I'll just say that. Um, but uh, people complained about Girardi. I mean, they knew that he ran a, a sloppy ship at his law firm. People knew that. People were saying that all the time. And it turns out he wasn't paying out the settlements that he was getting for clients and he was, you know, pilfering money according to these charges out of the firm to, and some say to, to uh, support the lavish lifestyle of Erica Jane. So he can, you know, he's an old man. He's got this young wife. He's got to keep up. So he's basically, I got to find money anywhere I can. Otherwise I'm going to lose this beautiful woman. I think that's the way he looked at it. And then he started, you know, losing his cognitive abilities. It looks like. Uh, so, but, that one of the main things against him is there was an Indonesian airline crash and he, he, he didn't distribute the money. He wouldn't give the money to the, to the people who were in the crash and their loved ones. And he spent it all. Stuff like that. Anyway, he's indicted. And, but he has uh, Alzheimer's and they're saying he can't even stand trial. His, his attorney is saying he can't, he can't understand what's going on. So they don't have to just accept that. They're going to test him, see if they believe it. Uh, a month before he was, uh, he made these claims that he that he was incompetent or non-compass mentis, as they say. Uh, they say he taught a class or he moderated a panel and he was, you know, on top of his game, except for like one minor slip up. So they'll use that against him. That's all recorded. Recorded. But uh, this will be interesting to see if he uh, gets away with the defense that I can't really stand trial. If they do allow that, they'll just stick him in some home. He's in a home right now, actually, just a, a mile from my house in, here in Seal Beach at a memory care place. And, you know, he'll just kind of, they'll just, maybe they'll put a 
a uh, ankle bracelet on him or something, and they'll just say, eh, we can't put this guy in trial. He doesn't know, he doesn't even know who he is or what his name is. I had, I had somebody uh, told me that this girl called him, one of his old assistant, assistants, uh, called him or he called her. Anyhow, they got on the phone. To get, he called her and said, hey, you got to get in here. We got to finish that case. She's like, what? I haven't worked for you for, you know, months or years or whatever it was. No, come in. We got to, we got to, we got, we got to work on this case. We, we have a lot of paperwork to do. And it was just like, but that case is over and I haven't worked for you for a long time. You know, it was, so she said he lost it, but the court will have to appoint a examiner to see what, uh, the truth is. One of the problems in this case and the reason why he got away with what he did for so long was because the state bar, it appears, were being wined and dined by him. So he had friends that were the state bar examiners, the ethics examiners. So if you make a complaint about him, they say, ah, no, that guy, he's, that's, that, you know. So he made friends with all the right people. But the, these, the state bar, I mean, I have to belong to that thing. I, I mean, I don't practice law, really. You know, I give advice here and then... Like if someone gets in a car accident, I'll refer them to an attorney, a really good attorney, by the way, if you get in one, um, or, you know, any kind of accident. So I do that. Or if someone needs entertainment, legal stuff, I refer them to people. And the people that I refer these uh, cases to, they will pay me, but they can't pay you unless if you're not a member of the bar. So I keep it, I keep it open for that mainly. And, you know, who knows? I might work in a legal capacity at some point in my career again, so I just keep it going. But the state bar, ugh, it's just like, you know, I can't say anything good about it. And the fact that they were being slimy with this guy, ugh. I just wrote them a $500 check. Ugh, that's the worst part. Okay, this next one is very sad. Uh, Priscilla Presley has moved to invalidate her daughter Lisa Marie's will. Petition contest changes made in 2016 to the will, which appoint Lisa Marie Presley, uh, her daughter, Riley, as the sole trustee of the estate. So there's a big trust. She's the beneficiary of all this stuff. And Riley is the beneficiary with her brother, but her brother died. Um, in a petition filed in Superior Court Thursday, Priscilla Presley challenges the will and she says the authenticity and the validity of the amendment, the amendment only, that replaced her and her former and former business manager Barry Siegel as co-trustees with Lisa Marie and her brother. So they're supposed to be um, the 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 trust is supposed to be managed by Lisa Marie and this guy Barry Siegel. Barry Siegel's been a long time. You know, associate of the family. But she made an amendment that said it should only be her and get rid of Barry Siegel. Uh, she died on January 12th, cardiac arrest, and she was Elvis's only child. Priscilla Presley and Siegel currently serve as the heads of the trust that was created in 1993 to manage the Presley estate. It's called the Promenade Trust. Uh, it kept a 15% stake in Elvis Presley Enterprises. Um, after selling 85% of the company's assets for roughly $100 million. Now, Lisa, it says here Lisa Marie Presley did that. She sold 85% of the company. 
kept 15%. And that's what the trust uses for, you know, to fund the trust. After Lisa Marie died, Priscilla Presley says she discovered a document changing the trust. And that, but the trust was never delivered to her. And it's supposed to be according to the language of the trust. So she didn't get this thing. She found it later. Um, it's the exclusive method to, to you know, there's, there's rules. And she said that, and so the, the, her lawyers are saying, she didn't follow the rules, um, so it's not valid. It's not a valid change. Um, Priscilla also points out that the amendment misspells her name and that her daughter's signature is inconsistent with her usual and customary signature. So shenanigans are afoot. What, what does this mean? Um, other inconsistencies in the document include that it was never witnessed or notarized and that the provisions don't appear on the signature page, which is customary. Like, it's just like a page with signatures on it uh, and no, no provisions, none of the language of the, uh, of the trust. So it's, it's complicated, but from what I'm getting from all this stuff is that, um, you know, there's a mysterious piece of paper uh, turns up that says that the uh, trust administrators are, uh, were Priscilla Siegel and... Riley, but now they should just be Riley. So Priscilla's looks like she's locked out of that. And the document doesn't look kosher. So, you know, I mean, they should get to the bottom of this. I think Priscilla is probably doing the right thing to investigate this and figure it out. Because otherwise, you know, it, just, it all goes to Riley and Priscilla is out in the dark. I mean, that's just... So a little bit weird. A little bit weird. But we'll follow this. Because that's what we do. Uh, and it's, uh, I have a feeling it's going to be settled. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. My, my prediction? There'll be an announcement and say, hey, we've, uh, all the parties came together and they figured it out. That is just my gut feeling about it. Okay. And I think um, other than Steven Tyler uh, is formally uh, named in a lawsuit about... Uh, having sex with an underage woman who was 16 a long, 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 long time ago. That's about it. We'll talk about that next week. It's That one's... It's gross, but it was a long time ago. So, still gross. Joe Escalante, live from Hollywood, now leaving you with just a taste of the greatest song ever written. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.